If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be an engrossing introduction, and here's why. In this episode, we're going to find some answers to how can we get more relevant information about our characters across without boring anyone? And how can we quickly get back into role-playing our characters? And how can we be better writers without, you know, studying or practicing? Because <laughs> screw that. <laughs> Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So, Jordan, I want to tell you about a character that I made. Cool, cool. Uh, I'm into it. His name is David Barbarian. Uh, he's a fifth level barbarian, and he's a second level fighter, and he's six feet tall, and he has the Outlander background, mm. and he's been raised by mm. wolves. Mm. Uh, and he has brown eyes, and mm. he wears a leather coat, and he carries mm. a katana. And yeah, I need to trend. go buy some shoes. Why? To get away from this conversation. <laughs> Why are you wearing shoes in this hypothetical? <laughs> and why should that stop you from leaving? Oh, this shit never makes any sense. But today we are talking about writing a character intro for your characters and why that's important. And we're joined today in this exercise by someone that knows what they're talking about. A friend of the show, Beth Ball. Not just knows what she's talking about, but is a tremendous writer, an incredibly talented uh, words craft, mm. uh, speech craft, uh, mm. words person. <laughs> You're failing this charisma check. Well, <laughs> she's one half of D&D Duet and the author of the upcoming novel, Buried Heroes. So tell us, Beth, how's that going? It's going really well. I'm I'm super excited to be back on the show. And then Buried Heroes is going to be released on April 30th, 2020. So that's really exciting. Um, things with D&D Duet are going really well right now, too. We have lots of people who are wanting to play D&D at home with um, family members or partners or friends or playing online. So that is something we're working on a lot right now. Here's how to play online and still i guess be able to dive into your character when you're not able to interact face-to-face -face like you might normally be that's a particular challenge is you know all of the body language and facial movements of people that you're playing one-on-one -on -one with is just hard to accommodate for when you're you move to a virtual space and so yeah getting into into more depth and being able to describe what is happening to your character you know, the way that you do so well in your book, fleshing out all of that feeling and all of that intent with words rather than just being able to like physically mime things when you're playing online is is a totally different experience too. Yeah, even, you know, if you can't do it with video or something, knowing who's going to talk when, and then you, like you're saying, you miss those mannerisms and the kind of the subtext can be harder or so you have to be careful of, you know I go to stand over here and I cross my arms um, <laughs> kind of thing instead of just 
scowling at your table with arms crossed. Um, it's, I think it can be an awkward shift, but I also feel like once you make it, it, it starts to feel more natural. Yeah, it doesn't take too long to adjust, but that first couple sessions is definitely a challenge because I was just playing a game in which a friend of mine was the dungeon master and he's a very physical guy. So he kept catching himself five seconds into a silent part of his DMing saying, oh, yeah, I guess you can't see what I'm doing right now. Okay. <laughs> well, the reason that you are such an, an asset in describing this kind of thing is that, I mean, you are an author. You're also an English teacher. And having been a blogger for how long now? How long has D&D Duet been operating? Um, we started Jan January 1st, 2019, so I guess a year and three months. So veteran bloggers now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so I wanted to see if Jordan could tackle this task to kind of drive the point home as to why we're doing this episode and why this episode is so important. So Beth, feel free, go ahead and, and just describe me. Okay. This is a little weird. But <laughs> this is a little weird. Take a shot at it. Okay. Um, so Travis has a full reddish beard and mustache and is wearing a light tan shirt, mostly unbuttoned with a white undershirt, um, glasses. So he seems relatively focused um, and kind of mouth slightly open, ready to speak, but also kind of waiting in anticipation to see what might happen. So you even dipped into it a little bit there. But now, Jordan, tell me about who I am. <laughs> Try this one. Well, a uh, bit of a perfectionist, a little bit careful about who he lets touch his stuff that might break it like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> really bad at uh, feeding himself. And the point of this bizarre uh, exercise that we just did was that, in my opinion, there is one that describes a character and one that just tells you what a character looks like. And that's what most of us end up doing. And I, I struggled with this for a long time of just like, okay, so I have a, a rogue and he he wears a black clothing because, of course, he's a rogue. And Don't forget the daggers. six feet tall and he has a mustache and... 16 uh, daggers and 16 daggers and like that doesn't tell you anything about a character it doesn't tell you you know and now all of a sudden there's a little bit more of a fleshed out character there with those two sides of that coin yeah and i think the other danger there is that with this super roguey rogue for example you miss those individual details that make the character a real life person who's so much more than this thief archetype so maybe they're a total sweetheart and this Robin Hood figure, we're not necessarily going to know that. And so you're going to pigeonhole your character potentially. Um, and, and of course, not on purpose, but we humans like patterns. We like to know kind of what's going on in stories. And sometimes if we can work out an archetype, then we can focus on details elsewhere. So we will do that. And I think you're absolutely right. Let's you know, get into some of those. Here's who this person is details and not just you know these are the type of swords that they have and these are 
other special things that are on their person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what level of dip you took in Druid as well as it's just like, it doesn't tell me <laughs> about the character. So and how I should kind of play off of that character. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for from the people that I'm playing with at the table. I'm trying to figure out what's going to be a good dynamic between what I'm trying to bring and what they're trying to bring. And it's challenging to get into that unless you've been playing together for six months, which, you know, then you can see in action how that that person is portraying that character. But it takes a long time to do that. And what if there was a quicker way that we could kind of get to that eventual end? So let's dive in more in the Strategy Stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so why are we writing a short description in the first place? Like I was saying before, I need help getting into how to play a character because I so rarely am in the player's seat. I find that I generally DM the most and it can be a little bit challenging to get back into that mindset of being a player and and trying to flesh out a, a character rather than jumping from like NPC to NPC every couple of minutes. So I need a reminder of how this person behaves and carries themselves in front of others. Beth, uh, your thoughts on how do you think this benefits a player? I think a lot of the benefits you've just said of kind of immediately jumping into this other person's body and history and mode of being and life experience in a really quick way, um, especially I think it can help this, the, the session get going a lot faster. You're not having to wait till 30 minutes in when you're warmed up and have your voice ready and remembered your accent and oh, I have a slight hunch, and so I'm going to sit in this particular way. Um, if you have the the short description to work with, a lot of that's going to come back so much faster. And um, D&D can be such a nice escape if that's something that you need or are looking for. And I think the short description can, again, help you get out of, I have all these stressful things happening right now, or I haven't left my house in five weeks, or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> whatever um, individual <laughs> struggles you might be. <laughs> Exactly. So you can just kind of put some of those things on on the back burner if you need to and push forward these attributes of this character and kind of finding their internal space. And so that way you're getting more immediately into this is how they physically are, which really helps with us embodying our role play. Um, I sometimes if we're playing in a in a group or even if I'm in kind of a a weird spot or a more challenging role play spot with my character can feel kind of self-conscious about it. And once I get going, it, it works out a lot better. But I think also with the short description, if you are a little bit, if you're more introverted or shy or feel kind of nervous, or you're just getting started with D&D, perhaps in, in any of these situations, then having the short description to kind of jump into your character where you feel more prepared can really help alleviate some of that stress and pressure. Totally. That's a great point. Like it helps you settle in. You read that short description and then you're not as worried about remembering every little detail because you're reminded of the core. Do you have any other tips on how you get into character quickly? Yeah, I try to read back over my notes and the the big question I'm asking myself before a session. And so I try to think about my character, especially a lot that day. But the, the big things that I want to know is where is my character internally? 
what does she want, what's she going towards or working towards, um, as well as where is she externally? So what are the conflicts and situations that she's facing? Um, the other thing that I'll do, I try with every single character to have a practice sentence or something like that to help me get into their voice. Um, so that way I know how this one sentence is supposed to sound. So regardless of whatever other accents are happening at the table or what I've forgotten or can't quite capture, I can remember with this sentence. And so one of my characters, and I see I'm going to get embarrassed trying to do it <laughs> on the thing, but it'll be fine. We'll just do it as an example. Um, but one of my characters has a more Eastern European accent. And so I was watching this person explain how to do this particular accent on YouTube and he's a an audiobook narrator and so his sentence he takes songs and then does them in the accent or something like that mm. so the sentence I wheeled around because I didn't hear what you had said I think is it so I wheeled around and then I kind of skip forward in the sentence um to but didn't because I didn't hear and it's on those two words where you're kind of switching the I and E sounds and having that slight kind of pause or stutter on your R so I'll just sit there as Persephone because I didn't hear, didn't hear, hmm. didn't hear what you had said. And, you know, kind of practice that a couple times. And then I'm like ready to be in my person and in my voice. And if you forget before, you can almost just whisper it to yourself while you're at the table and ready to get going. Say, didn't hear what you had said. And then I'm ready to be her. <laughs> um, so I don't know if that works for other people, but that, that's something that's really helped me is just having that one kind of go to this is this character's voice sentence. That's so cool. And that's ultra helpful because, I mean, we've even discussed uh, on the show before having a catchphrase for your character. And like, if you can work those two, I think you got some magic. If like that, that one sentence. I assume that the more you kind of cement that with yourself, the quicker it comes. Yeah, I think definitely. And it, it becomes that kind of ingrained habit and more of a comfortable space if this is where you are. I love the idea of the catchphrase too. One of my other characters, whenever she'll do something crazy and I just go, vengeance! <laughs> um, which from the from the demon hunter in Diablo, but she's really demon huntery. And so that's kind of leading into somebody else's character development to kind of borrow for your character but those are it also I think helps things feel more lighthearted and fun so you're not taking yourself or your character or your game too seriously if you maybe lean in that direction at other times that's a good point because yeah my characters are usually on the lighthearted side so if I came up with kind of a more serious sentence to get me into it that might root me in the game a little bit more before I take my flights of fancy <laughs> and like they that. are flights <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really really powerful point is just getting that character in a balance because that's also really challenging in some games. It's it's absolute magic when you have five players at a table that are all in the same same wavelength. They're all either being goofy or they're they're all being serious, but being able to strike a nice balance between the two and yeah, like you said kind of ground your character in that moment. Um, you know, do kind of a check-in at the very beginning. Where are they? Let me read this description. Let me speak my catchphrase. And then I've got the accent. I've got the demeanor. I've got the feel. I've got the tone. And it's all coming together into this character. And it takes me 30 seconds before the game to do that. That's that's good stuff. Travis and I uh, aren't quite as versed as you in 
what information you would, might actually want to get across to somebody when introducing a character. What do you do in your, what did you do in your book to quickly give people an idea of those characters? Like what information should we look for? Mm, okay, so in the novel, I wanted to really immediately get across to the reader kind of how this person feels and what it feels like to be in their skin in this moment as well as allow the reader to connect with that person in that place because that's a lot of what we're doing when we're reading fiction is kind of testing out these emotions and relating to this other person as well as here's how I would feel in that situation how is this person going to be feeling how are they going to behave and we play with that anticipation and those kinds of things so my novel is written in in the third person so we're kind of looking through this one person's eyes but we're not it's not the first person narrative but in either of those cases you can't sit there and totally describe exactly what this character looks like because that's not going to be a natural way for them to think about themselves and so you you do need to push into what kind of language do they use to describe the world around them? How do they see these other people that they're interacting with? And what does that tell us, not just about this other person, but about them as well? And so um, for me, it leads into a lot of environmental details, as well as you can kind of get into a pattern with sentence length, which I don't know exactly applies right now, but that's a way you can kind of increase the, um, the, the speed or the rate of concern, but as well as what, what words are they using, but specifically so much of it happens in the verbs. And so what type of language is this person using? How active is it? And um, the, the precision there, I think, is where you get a lot of the movement and emotion in a text. That makes a lot of sense. Using the, the choices of verbs, I didn't realize that that could say a lot about your character if you're only writing like two or three paragraphs. Even in this context, you know, without too many spoilers at the end, we have a great resource that we hope people can use. But the idea that that sentence length can convey so much of a tone of pace and, and things like that, I'd, I hadn't thoroughly <laughs> considered that. So... <laughs> Yeah, if you kind of return to a favorite book or something like that and looked at the look at an action scene versus a slower scene, the action scenes are very likely going to have a lot shorter sentences because those keep the pace really fast versus these kind of longer scenic descriptions or um, a character's kind of thought process unfolding before you as the reader and we want those breather moments but we also want those really intense moments of action and that variety is really nice but it kind of it's like a roller coaster yeah you know, moving moving as you go and that you've got that slow build and then the really fast hill and and i that actually also i would imagine applies really well to being a dungeon master at the table and trying to set that action scene up when you enter the great hall you're going to lengthen out those descriptions and really mm -hmm. describe all of the sconces and the detail work and all of the, you know, the dwarven ruins. And then when it's time for stuff to happen... The ten-headed spider pops out. Yeah, like that's the... <laughs> <laughs> what does a ten-headed spider look like? <laughs> it's got heads at the end of each leg? I don't know. <laughs> Squishes its little faces as it runs. <laughs> that's creepy. That's gross. Um I think another one that is really important to me to try to convey in a short description is the flaw. For me, a character is made in its issues and all of its challenges. And it's often, I think, really easy to try to make a character, especially when we're playing like heroic fantasy, 
to make the most noblest, most amazing character, but there's no drama in that necessarily. So to remind myself that my character has some internal conflict, my character has issues of trying to find a way to, to work that into a short description, I found was really important. Yeah, and I think that especially in in D and D, we can get so wrapped up in the in the external conflicts, or I need to pick the exact right spells for this exact right thing. But for me, at least, how I stay in my character and engage in the campaign, it's driven by that internal conflict. And I've been studying. Um, I mean, I've been studying fiction itself for a really long time, but specifically the writing of fiction a whole lot over the last couple of years, and particularly this past year while I've been writing the book. And so many of the the texts I've read have emphasized the importance of that internal conflict, that it's that that we tune into and care about and want to read more of as readers. It's not what are the external circumstances, but we want to know what are those internal drivers. And it's that that helps us latch onto the story. And, you know, even as a, as a player, me wanting to understand that internal conflict and making sure that that somehow works into my character description really helps me understand, like, what is that will that I want to try and push on others? And they're like, I have mm-hmm. motivations, I have needs, and those I'm going to kind of focus externally as well on my other party members, as well as NPCs that my DM throws at me. And understanding that, I think, is really key to to being able to flesh out a good character. In playing characters, learning that I need to start with that conflict has been super helpful. Then you get to kind of paint on some of those details. So how many like distinct, memorable features should you include in in something like a short introduction? Like, how much should we focus on the physical part of the character once we move past that internal part? Well, I've definitely gone overkill on this, describing every, <laughs> you know, like the, that description from before is very apt is like, well, they have this many swords and this is how they and like how many of those descriptors, yeah, should you potentially I mean, use? You definitely built your first character from from the outside in. And once you realized you didn't have an inside, you started to actually create a character. But For me, I often start with, I'll get kind of the internal sense of that character, usually before I have a, a really strong idea of what they look like or what exactly they're trying to achieve. But I try to understand their inner state first. Um, I'm a really emotionally driven person. And so it makes sense to me to approach the world from that way, from that perspective. And I know that's not going to be the case for everyone. But in terms of method, um, then I head over to Pinterest and I, uh, I have a really huge board of lots of different fantasy character art that I'll kind of pull from. Or I have a couple people set aside where I'm like, this kind of a collage of these different blonde elves, for example, are they're going to be this one character down the line, maybe, or I have a sense of this person. And I think this is kind of what they're going to look like. But the really specific, memorable features or like a character scar or something, for example, I don't always get until I've been that character for a while. And to me, that's something that you should be able to kind of add in as you go and as you get to know them. I think it's, I don't want to sound too woo-woo of like, well, the character just explains it to you and then you feel it. And then, you know, it doesn't have to be, I think, that abstract. But I do think it's okay to add some of those details in down the line if you're not totally sure. Um, The things that you know, perfect. But again, if we go back to their verbs, how do they exert themselves on the world? That's going to be a truer sense of who they are than 
yeah, well, my character has this scar on her arm and she scowls and stomps around. Um, she, you know, maybe she does do those things, but those are going to be a sign of what's going on internally and kind of what is she hoping to accomplish? Well, and like you bring up a really good point. So a scar, you know, I can go ahead and describe a scar. And if I have limited space, say in a character description, you know, I'm going to want to describe something physical about them. But what is that physicality that's going to affect everyone else? If I have a scar on my arm, maybe I don't want to describe that. If I have a scar across my face and people treat Mm -hmm. me differently because of that, well, then obviously that's something that I definitely want to lean into because that affects how every other character perceives me. And then if that if that grew from, you know, a trauma in that character's past and is actually informed by their their internal struggles, then, yeah, I see what you're saying about the physical features are a manifestation of what's going on inside. That's really good. And then, I mean, you also have that emotional where they're at on par with like every day, because I think every single person has that. And rarely do we ever get into that with D&D characters which is like, what is their level set in terms of their emotional state? You know, I'm kind of curmudgeonly and Jordan's very whimsical and, you know, Beth, you're very happy and and kind of jovial and, and nice. So like, what is that level set for those characters? I think is also really important to kind of establish for those new characters. Yeah, and especially because we can't always see each other's characters and you're trying to describe it and help the people around the table with you visualize them as immediately as possible and and like you're saying when we see someone else and they're standing kind of with their arms crossed and their head down we we get an immediate energy read on that person and the other character the other people in the party the other npcs would have that immediate read on this particular character um which you know it's our job to try to communicate as easily and effectively and as quickly as possible but we have to make up for that lack of a visual sense with more here's how we communicate in physicality what's going on inside and that I think can be a really hard shift to make and I I think that's what we're trying to do when we lean into an overly physical description is it's meant to say something about the outside person but I think sometimes we forget some of those other details of terms of how does it feel to stand next to this really angry evil paladin you know it's gonna feel a little scary (laughs) much different than standing next to the hobbit for sure exactly so i think another thing that i really like to add to these character descriptions are a method that the character would take to solve a problem so you know having having some kind of conflict in your character description scene and then explaining how that conflict is resolved whether it's through brute force whether it's through uh, trickery or conversation or sweetness or whatever that case may be, can tell a lot about a, a character and making sure that that's present somewhere in there can be really helpful. Yeah, I think so. And especially if you're thrown into a weird situation, which your characters are definitely going to be, I think that can help too with kind of what is this person's go-to way of handling a situation are they going to whenever they face opposition shoot everyone or are they going to like you're saying try to be really persuasive are they going to speak out what's going to be their kind of 
gut reaction. Um, and another thing we see so often in stories is that the a character's gut reaction may tend to be kind of the opposite of what they need or the kind of thing that they need to figure out how to overcome or how to not do, uh, with the exception being anti-heroes, from what I understand, that they... Um, they tend to have relatively flat character arcs where we don't really see them change very much, but it just kind of works out that at the end that their gut reaction thing that they do ends up being the right thing for them to do. And then it, you know, that's the end of the story. Hmm. That's a really important point about anti-heroes too. Like I, I just was trying to bring up all of my favorite anti-heroes and you're totally right. Every one of them has the most stable character. Like that, that line is flat. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think what you're saying about uh, how a character responds to conflict, I think is one of the most important things for me to think about as, when I'm playing D&D to avoid it being combat. Because I know that D&D is a lot about combat, but if I can create a gut reaction that's not combat, that forces them into combat, I think that's always going to be a more interesting encounter or fight than if I just always jump right to combat. And it's important to establish because... Then when your character does change, like you're saying, Beth, your character has a little bit of a of a shift and maybe learns at some point throughout your adventures that maybe this isn't the best way to get stuff. Having that in that character description that all of your other maybe players at the table are familiar with or that you check in on yourself and re- remind yourself, how does my character normally handle conflict, makes it all that more poignant when... It doesn't go that way when your character has shifted and done something different. Then everyone at the table gets to go, what? And it's, yeah, it becomes important. Drama. (laughs) Yeah. And it's that that satisfying moment, too, of, wow, this person has grown and changed. And then you have, you know, this new aspect of this person that you've been spending time with and that your character has been spending time with at the table. I think you're absolutely right. Those can be such cool moments of when you see that shift or what is it about this villain, even if we're thinking from the DM's perspective that has inspired this character to kind of take a step back and rethink what they might normally do. Well, considering we're asking people to write like a fiction writer, like (laughs) yourself, um, what are some of your favorite character tips? your character introduction tips, like when you had to, I'm sure that was incredibly daunting. Um, I'm sure you maybe wrote a few different versions of some of your character introductions. What spells uh, ultimate doom and and what is the saving grace for character introductions for you? Oh, that's such a hard, it's such a good question. It's such a hard question. I think, so for one, number one writing tip is to let yourself do it multiple times and understand that it's a process. It's so easy to think that it should be going better or it should feel right or other people can do this and I can't. And you just get in this cycle. Um, I rewrote my whole novel at least once and then again, like a second time. And I mean, it, it, it was a whole lot of rewriting and redoing and it's so much better for it. But my initial versions of the characters didn't get the character to come across to anyone except for me. Um, and having played that character in d and I had a really good understanding of, okay, this is who she is, and this is what she's about, but it 
it wasn't in such a way that I was allowing other people to access that character's emotional state. And so I think that that's the thing for yourself too. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable and it's, you're going to have to dig just a little bit to figure out, okay, here's not just where this person is and maybe something that they're thinking about, but describing someone else's emotional being and what they're wondering about at a particular moment can feel really awkward. Um, and it's something that when we read it comes across really naturally, but when we're writing it down, I don't think that that's often a way in which we communicate. We don't often narrate our own thoughts. Well, I mean, sometimes we do, sometimes I do, but <laughs> it's not something that we, that we, we don't always step outside of our own lives to kind of, um, to narrate what's going on. But I, I do think that that's an important switch to make with writing the character introductions. But I think as a, as a baseline, that number one thing, it's not necessarily going to be or feel right that first time. It's okay to give yourself some time with it. I really like that point because when you're talking about it's not natural to get across our emotions and feelings, that seems like something that you you only do with people that you're very close and intimate with. And to just do it casually as a writer, yeah, I could see it taking a long time to get used to. And it's something that I definitely don't do with most of my characters. So I'm going to have to try and apply that. Yeah, I love this method too. I've seen so many times on Discord or Twitter or something, people who want to write or they'll talk about, I was working on this character, but I can't write their backstory because I just, and the reason is usually because I just can't, um, or they can't quite get to a, a really solid reason. And I think some of it is that discomfort. So many people have creativity scars from, you know, it just takes one elementary school teacher to say, you're not good at this, or you're not creative, or you can't do this. And people shut down for forever. And mm. I think that we're all creative, and we are all capable of um, making worlds and characters, and we all have something to say and to share about what we see and what it means to be ourselves, as well as what how we perceive other people. And so I think if you can kind of let that guard down and understand that it's not going to be it's probably not going to be great that first time. That's okay. Um, everything that you read too has been, I mean, almost everything that you read has been heavily edited and revised and people have spent a lot of time with it. And so we have ourselves at this super high bar. Um, you know, why can't I write like X famous writer? Well, maybe because you haven't been writing for 20 years. That's okay. In 20 years, maybe you'll write just like them. You won't, you'll have your own unique voice, but that's something you have to kind of find and try on and get comfortable with. It's it's easy to not see how far a writer has gone, but it'd be a lot like going for a run and then trying to compare myself to professional athletes on my first jog. <laughs> be like, I suck. When I why can't I run like Usain Bolt? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And in terms of like writing these character descriptions, because they're so important to really help somebody kind of get into that that character's is getting into the habit of doing them can a start, you know, I don't know how many writers started playing D and D like this is a really cool hobby to kickstart that love of writing. And there are so many cool characters out there that just deserve to have a little bit of a, a dramatic description written about them. And we don't need oodles of backstory. What we need is just a, a, short understanding of what the character's backstory is and then who they are in that world that can can make such a great character shine. Yeah, I don't know that I would have been able to 
write my novel if I hadn't been playing D&D for the year before. I think that it kind of um, either undid a block or took off the training wheels or something, but I, I'm so good at coming up with characters, but then I would never have anywhere for them to go or something for them to do. And D&D really helped me with that. And I spent so much time either writing a campaign or writing about a campaign or writing a summary of a campaign. I do so much hundreds of thousands of words of material um, over the the year kind of leading up to me starting to write the novel. And that was so good for my process and voice and just kind of getting more relaxed about things. And there are plenty of changes that need to happen to transfer a character and a plot in their story from a D&D campaign to a novel. But part of the reason I agreed to play D&D is that my favorite novelist, David Mitchell, would talk about how he would gets together with other writers at conferences and things, and they kind of whisper and talk about their D&D characters. And I was like, okay, if I'm ever going to meet David Mitchell and like not have a total breakdown of excitement, I need to have something to talk to him about. And I could talk to him about D&D and it's going to be so cool. Um, but then we'll have this thing to kind of relate to each other about. And so, so many authors that we love have this history of playing D&D. But I think that there's still this gap, especially in epic fantasy spaces, but across so much of literature that you're absolutely right. We need to see these characters. And so I think D&D is a great way to get into writing. And then writing is also a great way to help us get into D&D. That's a really cool part of your origin story with (laughs) D&D. I hadn't heard that one before. (laughs) You wanted to impress one of your favorite authors some days. They played some D&D right on. Should we hop into the, the actual readings? All right. So we created this Basically, it's a form-fillable template, so we get it. First of all, the idea of writing fiction is daunting. I'm not particularly good at it, but just like our creative prompts, if you give yourself some constraints, now all of a sudden, it becomes much easier. And all three of us wrote these short character introductions using the prompts in these constraints And I think they turned out pretty well. Yeah, they're at least a great jumping off point. And I found that that after we'd made the prompts, sitting in front of that blank page became a hundred times easier. And I know that's something that I've I've heard a ton about (laughs) starting to write anything. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read off these short stories uh, and then we'll give uh, we'll give a, a quick recap and some impressions, and a little dissection. And so, yeah, we've got uh, three short stories for you. All right, who's first? (laughs) Who's going to take the plunge? Yeah, I'll I'll go first, sure. Morning sun pierces over mountaintops to illuminate a rocky hillside speckled with trees and dewy moss. A pair of sweaty goblins chuckle in anticipation behind a boulder, discussing their potential haul of the campsite in shambles below. An eclectic collection of goods are strewn about, from dried paint to carved candlesticks to assorted bells, all with a disgruntled pot-bellied pig rooting out the bits of cheese hidden amongst the goods. One of the goblins feels a tickle on the back of his neck, changing his malicious grin to a wrinkled frown. A bright feather tied to the end of a bent pole moves from one goblin to the other, gathering their attention. They swirl around, shrieking into surprise and scrabbling for their daggers. The feathered pole rests in the hands of a wildly bearded gray gnome draped with loose cloth, certainly not originally intended to be clothing. Confusion takes over in the minds of the goblins as they tower nearly a foot over the grinning face before them. 
They look to each other, baffled by the undefended creature, and take another beat to puzzle over the corkscrews and berries tied into its facial hair. Welcome to the hill above my campsite, fine folks. Thanks for admiring my stuff. Glad you like it. Maybe it's something you've got to trade for it. Those daggers are great, but I bet they won't open a bottle of wine nearly as good as one of these, the gnome says as he rapidly swaps out each goblin's angry dagger for a small corkscrew. Heckin' nice design on these, too. I'll throw in a bottle of my own berry wine. Now your travels can be a little more joyous. Have a great day! He continues, patting the goblins on the back and guiding them away. They start walking, mouths still agape, catching up to the way their circumstances change so rapidly. The gnome excitedly skips down to his campsite, uncorking some wine and taking a swig for himself while waving his goodbye up the hill. <laughs> That's uh, my character, Wibble. Oh, I love him. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Well, you definitely nailed his... You you didn't even have to tell me who was a hoarder by his campsite. It is very clear. And the, the dangly bits in his beard. It's from somebody that's never experienced the character. Any uh, Any reflections, Beth? Yes. So I love this kind of moment of surprise where he's welcoming these goblins. And then especially we get the detail about how much taller they are than he is. So not only is he super outnumbered, but he is kind of small to be in this particular space and vulnerable situation, but he reacts to it with trying to surprise the people who are thinking that they might be surprising him. And um, he just stays really bright and jolly about it, but kind of tricksy too with the, um, and I keep thinking about his beard and how it would be shaking while he's talking to them and all the accessories in it would be bobbling around. And these goblins like, what in the world? You know, they just think that they've discovered this pig's garbage. I guess. I love the pig too. He's so cute. <laughs> the pig's name is Alphonse, by the way. But thanks. Ah, I'm glad. I was about to ask. <laughs> I'm glad that's how it came across. That's awesome. Well, yeah, and and it also like some of the other things that you can get immediately from that character is that you know first of all his first course of action is never to fight. Um, you know, and, and I know basically these things based on having played, but they definitely come through in the character story, which is you, he's a pacifist. Um, he's definitely going to go for tricky over any, he, he, he's very bold in his maneuvers. So, you know, whereas a lot of people would encounter two goblins and go on the immediate offensive, uh, he's kind of surprising in a lot of his action where he says, no, instead I'm going to, I'm going to go on the offensive in a very different way. I'm going to swap out their things that can stab me with things that are less harmful. Yeah, and it gets across that that gut reaction we were talking about earlier. Like that's that's his approach to conflict mm -hmm. right away, at least. Okay, well, I guess I'll launch into mine. Um, we'll see how this goes. It's by the way, this is a very vulnerable, <laughs> <laughs> vulnerable place to put someone. Yes, isn't it? It's crazy vulnerable. Yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine uh, being on the precipice of putting a book out. So props to you. No kidding, but at the same time getting over that that obstacle of just just sharing it with people now I'd be I think I'm more comfortable playing Wibble after you know if I were to read that to a group of people that I was gaming with or to at least have them read it because uh, some people are are quite shy as I would probably be in that situation <laughs> mm -hmm. and just say like read this if you want to know my character <laughs> and like I said it's it's much better than just reading a collection of stats on a page I get this character so much better. 
Yeah. Okay. The echoes of every drip ring out like a chorus as the flora of the Underdark silently cast their phosphorescent glow that lights the cavern. An elven man scrambles and claws at the rock to find a hiding place. And once the task becomes clearly futile, he pleads into the inky blackness of the cave. Please, I didn't mean to. The family was going to kill me. I'm so sorry, please. He couldn't escape the dead end of the cavern he found himself trapped in. And for a moment, looking to the dagger sheathed on his hip and considered whether it would be best used on his pursuer or himself. A heavy footstep and the crunch of gravel in the darkness marked his arrival. The leather hand wrap of a giant warhammer uses gravity to slide through the slate-skinned, weathered hand of a near giant, resting just above the floor of the cavern. The elven man stops searching for an escape route to turn to face his pursuer. As the Goliath slowly approaches, his odds of escape have become clear as he imagines the battles this beast has been in as evidenced by the gouges and scars of the wide metal-plated belt of a champion that he wears. The elven man's posture slumped forward in despair at the look of sadness and pity in his pursuer's eyes. There is no joy in this task for him. The destitute man begins to gently sob. <laughs> you needn't fear me nor mourn. What happens is simply inevitable. It happens because it must. My name is Zerus, and I'll be bringing you back to Menzaberanza, said the Goliath. He moved in a deceptively gentle fashion, with each somber step ever closer to his quarry, hefting the mass of muscle that he was with ease. The elven man summoned from deep within the strength of will to stand up when the large hand gestured to do so. The hand expectantly held out open iron manacles, as if they were a gift from one friend to another. I love this one. I love this one, and especially, like, we get such a sense of his size and kind of presence by how this, uh, the elven man reacts to his presence, but it's, it's with such a sense of surprise, too. Like, he knows that he's this kind of large hulking figure, but he carries himself really delicately and gently, and um, I think that um, pairs alongside the his dialogue, which is one of the things that really stands out to me here. The you needn't fear me nor mourn. What happens is inevitable. It happens because it must. That he um, is he's almost like fate, right? Where um, it's this huge thing that's like going to catch up to you at some point, and like he's kind of that way too. Of like this is this is what's going to happen, and this is how it's going to happen. But there's no need to keep fighting. We're just going to be really <laughs> calm about it. And you, you definitely get a sense of how he's feeling about the things that he needs to do without too much description. Like he's not excited to be having to do this. And it really reminds me to play this character as a, a little bit more of a, a somber character when it comes to, when it comes to playing combat, he's not excited to fight. He's not, mm -hmm. he doesn't find any joy in it. And this is definitely like I, I placed his I placed the time that this scene takes place kind of earlier on in his backstory. And so it allows me um, to get into his mind in this time where he is being employed to do things that he doesn't want to do. 
Um, because now where we are in the game and in the campaign, he's a free person and he gets to take all of these really cool joys in the minor things that he never did before. So it actually, it incites me to play him in a much more joyful manner than I normally would because that counterpoint is in his, in his character description. I think that sounds so cool. I really like that. The, like in the small things, cause I, you get that in his story too, of the, the, I guess the acceptance and then you would have such extreme joy on the other side of that, even in something, something. He, that's he, so cool. In the, in the campaign, just one, once he discovered plants on the surface, uh, kind of had a side hobby as a gardener. all right beth we cannot wait i'm very excited to jump into your story so thank you it's always nerve-wracking this is one of the first times i've read like a fictional thing that i wrote out loud except to myself um or to make jonathan listen (laughs) to it like is this okay and then this sounds good I'm not well, thanks. Sure. thanks three, for doing um, it with us okay. three months from now you're going to be doing book uh book yes. readings at, at bookstores and stuff so <laughs> this will be such good practice but no thank you i'm really excited about this and thank you for having me on to talk about the book okay this is not a character from the book um but she's one i'm i'm working on so just so nobody's reading very heroes <laughs> waiting for evelyn to show up she's not there um okay A drowsy tavern keeper polished glasses behind the worn oak bar. Patrons spoke in hushed tones, careful to keep their eyes to themselves so as not to provoke any of the burly guild members dotted around the pub. Bertrand polished off his crisp ale, slamming the tankard down on the table, and signaled another round for him and his companions without a glance at the silent barkeep. A bell tinkled as the tavern door flew open and warm afternoon light splashed across the dingy environs. The backlit elf reflexively curled her fingers around the rowan branch that crossed the center of her palm. Bertrand leaned forward, scowling at the newcomer. The emblem of a phoenix clasped bands of reinforced leather around her waist. So this was the one he'd heard tale of before. Some sort of misplaced vigilante from the Brightlands, eager to meddle in others' affairs. She rolled her shoulders back and surveyed the downturned heads scattered around the bar. I'm looking for Bertrand Thorne, the guild lieutenant's commander in this region. She smirked as there is met. Bertrand's chair squealed as he pushed it back and rose, scimitar in hand. Brilliant orange light flashed against her golden skin, and a ball of fire roared into life in her upturned palm. Keep going. <laughs> I want to know what happens next. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's uh, that's really, really good, Beth. I mean, I was honestly listening from another player's perspective. You know, I'm I'm listening as if I'm about to play in a game with this character. And like just from that little bit of description, I know to ask about where they're from. You know, and I, I'm listening for the Brightlands because I want to know more about that. And I'm listening for... Uh, you know, I, there's there's just so much richness in a lore that's hinted at, rather than needing to be thoroughly explored. And I can't wait to do that in a game. And what struck me the most, I think, is just the the confidence and efficiency that the everything that she does um, is portrayed to others. So 
that's what my character is going to react to if I'm playing in a game with her and and kind of be awestruck by that aspect of the character. That came across really well. I'm so glad. Thank you. This is the opening. This is the the person kicking open the door. This is it feels spaghetti western to me almost. <laughs> and they're like, I'm a yeah. You're kicking in the tavern, the saloon door, and you're like, I'm looking for this person. And everyone backs up and goes. Oh boy, <laughs> is this about to pop off? Like, it's such a grand entrance. It's so good. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, with all of these, again, the contrast stands out to me. Like, when I've talked about this character before, I've said, yeah, Evelyn is a circle of the wild, of wildfire druid, and she's going to be an elf or an aladrin or something. That doesn't tell us very much. That doesn't say that when she walks into a room, she's going to try to upset the person that she's encountering on purpose because then she's in control of the situation um like none of that's going to come across and you're going to give it a little like this person um really likes wildfire you you're going to expect them to be fiery in some way but what if they were just really feisty um that it's going to be totally different than like someone who is um more focused and kind of aggressive you mentioning that she's an eladrin that isn't stated, which is great because like I'm curious about the golden skin now. And and like mm-hmm. Travis is saying, that's something that I can follow up with honestly, because I don't know that your character's an Eladrin yet. <laughs> and how many of us would have better learned the other characters at the table if we had to ask in character? Like if that was the very next step to say, you know, I'd I'd see I see your pointy ears. What kind of elf are you? Because nobody told me what was on your character sheet. Yeah, they just told me the story. Mm-hmm. I just read the story. But I'm definitely going to ask that question a lot more cautiously after seeing something like that, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. And I guess to to kind of wrap this all up, just so that we can get to the hero stage, because we want to hear more about you and your book. If you're listening and you're not sure how to do this yourself, like we mentioned earlier, we have a template that you can download. I mean, I don't think anybody has to use a template. You can write a short couple of paragraphs that kicks off a hero's story. Absolutely true. And even if you do use the template, use it as much or as little as you want. It's just to try and get the gears turning. I use the template exactly, or almost exactly. Um, Reading through it, I was like, I wish I had done that. I don't know. I I guess it depends on where it's from in your story, kind of if we were to unpack it a little bit. Um, so if it's something that's happening right before the campaign or to get you immediately immersed in the story, maybe write it in present tense versus like I use the past tense. I usually write in past tense. And so, but as I was reading it, it felt like this is something that had happened to Evelyn before, not like something that had you know, just happened yesterday or that I'm trying to get myself into this moment of like, she's about to throw this ball of fire into this person's face right now um, where, you know, I don't know. So I think that would be something to to keep in mind. And then um, what I love about the template is the chance to think about your character from someone else's perspective and especially someone who's different from them. I think the one thing I switched up just a little bit um, is that there, to me, like several similarities between Bertrand and Evelyn, like he's going to be the one loud person in this bar. And so is she. Um, versus the other patrons have their heads down and aren't looking and things Mm -hmm. like that. And so I think if there are more people in this space, 
it's okay for there to be similarities between your person and this kind of comparative NPC and then see if you can spark that off with other details in the environment. Kind of the contrast you're saying, like, or contrast or similarity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, like, this is how this person stands out in this particular space or, and is reacting and being in this space. Well, we definitely hope that this template is helpful to give a just a quick example, you know, we've broken it down into three distinct paragraphs and each single sentence. So a paragraph, each one has about four sentences. And each one of those sentences has basically a kickoff point to start those wheels turning and to incite uh, your first sentence. So uh, for example, sentence one says, introduce the location that the player character feels most at home in. Describe the notable features of this place with concrete sensory details. And that is something that I can do. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not always my most creative, but that's having that in that context certainly helps to uh, focus my attention and my writing. And yeah, I can, I can certainly write a sentence and I can certainly write, you know, 12 sentences in a row. But uh, I definitely don't know that I can write a novel yet. <laughs> we're not asking anybody else to either yeah we're not asking you to write a novel it's just three short paragraphs but beth did write a novel this is the hero stage where fantastic folk have a spotlight turned to them to tell the tales of their adventurous lives okay so you've written a book called buried heroes that's coming out april 30th and can you kind of explain what it's about and how you chose this story to tell? So Buried Heroes is about destiny and community, um, finding greater strength by working alongside others and not solely pursuing your own path. Um, and, and using that as the method in which you find your way and, and your place within the kind of fate of the larger world. Um, the novel follows three characters as they face great change from the life that they've known before in the world of Azuria. So we kind of start at this world catalyst moment with these three characters and then follow them as we go. And this is partially based on your own D&D experience. Yes, absolutely. And so um, the the whole, the, the entire story was, especially my first draft, was very, very true to the D&D campaign that my husband Jonathan and I started. And it is the same character that was my first D&D character, Elia Thamastasia. And I, I love her so much. And so that was part of it was this um, deep and abiding love for this character. But I just knew that I needed to tell her story because being her and acting as her did so much for me and I kind of wanted to 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 share that as well as to work through it and in greater detail and so she's the main character in the novel and then the other two aren't in it as much but we do follow their arcs um, and so um, Teodric is one of Jonathan's DMPCs and then Genevieve who comes in a little bit later was based on an NPC that I made for a section where I was DMing but it's changed quite a bit from our initial D&D campaign because there are some, you know, you have to kind of keep things a little bit narrower for it to work in fiction than it might in a D&D campaign. So I had to, we lost some characters along the way in terms of like, I took them out of the narrative and we moved some of the the plot things around. But I, I think that it does stay true to the epic fantasy feeling of D&D. And so I really hope that that immersive, exciting 
emotion of being in a D&D campaign comes across in the fiction. Well, and I think there's a lot of books out there that, you know, focus in on kind of heroic fantasy and then kind of like Tolkien-esque fantasy. And it's all kind of fantasy adjacent. But this one is deeply rooted in D&D. Like you'll recognize stuff from D&D lore. And having had the opportunity to read the first three chapters now, it is super satisfying to read as a D&D player because my wheels are turning as I'm reading it and thinking like, oh yeah, so I, I totally get where that would have come from. And I wonder how this could have played out in an actual campaign. And this is really cool because now it's a, a well-flowing narrative fiction. Yeah, anyways, there's so many things that that I was thinking that added to the experience of reading it. I'm so glad that comes across. And the um, people who have played the first adventure we put on DMs Guild First Blush that was based on our first D&D game together, so many of those scenes are in the novel um, with our version of Garen, whose name is Marcone. Um, so I, I'm really hoping that it feels like, oh my gosh, I've been here, I've done this, and now I'm this other person being here and doing this. And I, I really hope it feels inclusive and exciting uh, as a narrative and I think for those of us who love D&D sometimes I like don't quite have the energy to play I'm like I wish I could just sit and watch my characters run around on the TV <laughs> or something like that or that someone would just tell me what they're doing and I'll just sit there and absorb it and so I really hope that that um, that reader experience is able to to be kind of inspired like you were saying from the novel. So yeah this is like a way to to get that D and D fantasy fix without needing to be so creative and engaged as to play your own game and get five people around a table, yeah. which can often be <laughs> nigh impossible. Yeah, I think writing it helped me see the the D and D side of things in a new way too. Because in the in the novel, I um, you know I don't want to say like Elias cast Entangle or something. I mean, because for one, there are IP issues with doing that, and then mm -hmm. for another, it's it's not going to feel immersive. And I I want people who don't play D and D to enjoy it too. Um, but the kind of more physical aspects of of casting and what it would feel like to create this um, experience in the world or change the world around you with this magical effect, I think has helped me see the the playing side of D, D in a new way too of like what is my person doing while they're casting this spell or what do they say to heal their friend and um what what kind of expression do they have what color is like is there, are there sparkles what color are they the kind of making the magic more real and sort of like yeah i cast and tingle they need to make a whatever you know <laughs> dexterity saving throw and they fail ha <laughs> you know it it i think helps slow things down just a little bit too yeah, really appreciate what what it is your characters are doing when you're playing is mm -hmm. yeah, taking that on to write out all of those feelings and thoughts and colors and descriptions. It really really comes across. So well done. I certainly can't speak to how somebody that doesn't know D&D would how they would read the book, but I think that it comes across very well as a story in its own right. All of my talk about D&D isn't to say that it didn't draw me in just with the characters themselves and the world that they're exploring in those in those first few chapters. So, well, in speaking of those first few chapters, folks can find a prologue on your website, bethballbooks.com. What's the next steps? You're it's almost published. It's almost here. 
The time is yeah. creeping up very quickly. Where should somebody go in and buy a copy when it's released? So I'm going to try to have it as many places as possible. Um, and so if you go to bestballbooks.com, um, I'm hoping to have a pre-order up really soon. And there should be a link to um, to Amazon, Apple, Kobo, Google Play, all the different places. <laughs> um, and I am going to get the ebook version up and then do the the print. And so it's possible there will be a slight delay as some shipping times have been delayed and are in our current reality. Um, and so no, no promises that the, the print book is going to be available on April 30th, but it'll be there as soon as I can get it there and, and make sure that it's, um, it's proofed and, and looks really good and everything. But so that would be the place to kind of stay tuned for. I'm going to release a novella really soon too. That's kind of a prequel to this story. So I'm really excited about that and just need to kind of finalize some of those chapters. Um, next, I'm working on the sequel and Jonathan and I are working on fleshing out Azuria more as a playable setting. And um, our patrons are helping us create a duet campaign there and so what i really really want is a world where you can you know if you want to take a break and you know read a story that's happening in this dnd world you can as well as um that it's going to be something where you can play and create your own narrative kind of alongside these characters and so i'm hoping that we can create that kind of co immersive experience between the two and there there are going to be some differences because there are some mechanic things that need to happen in dnd that you take out of a of a novel or vice versa but i really hope that the the atmosphere of the world and and the world building serve those two functions wow that's exciting so azuria the world that you're trying to flesh out what's unique about azuria like what what do you bring in to the community with that part of me wants to say like so many things and part of me is like <laughs> i don't i don't know um i mean because you know, we have so many fantasy worlds and so many fantasy settings already um what i love about azuria what i really love about the novels is the importance of of nature and that balance and that's something that i think is already really cool about D that every single class has this more natural um focus to it so um you know i when I was first learning about D&D and learned about barbarians, I wouldn't have guessed that there was a really nature-based barbarian, um, but but there is, and how cool is that? And so um, Azuria has a, a really elemental focus in terms of what's going wrong in the world, um, but it's also so much about um, uncovering this past history. So what was going on in the world with this great flood two to 3,000 years ago? And then um, beyond that, the 5,000 years ago, when there's this huge defeat and this kind of overturn of the the world structure and, um, and then the 5,000 years before that. So we have this long history that I think will be fun to for DMs to play with, where I want to give them a lot of lore that is still relatively concrete. Um, that they can that they can play around with, but but the other thing that I really want to make sure that we have come across in the D and D material for Azuria is that this is an active world that is going to be moving outside of what the party is doing. So you're going up against larger forces that aren't waiting on you and are going to be developing things in other parts of the world because you can't be everywhere at once. But they're a little bit more established, and maybe they can. Um, and so I I do want that like. I, underdog feeling or like that challenge for the parties of this the choices you make matter because you can't have everything at once and you can't pick everything at once but um, these other things are going to develop and so what are you going to choose 
I'm, I'm hoping that that feels really cool and weighty for DMs and players. Fun. Oh. Sounds, sounds pretty meaty to me. Yeah. I'm excited. One other question I had about uh, your the story of your book. So it comes from a campaign originally, but you're talking about writing a sequel. So is that is that sequel part of the same campaign that you've played? Or is that something that you're going to create the fiction for after this one? Or The sequel is um, still based in the in our campaign when our campaign is ongoing. So the series is the campaign is, I don't know, we'd be on book eight or something like that versus I'm like on writing book two. Um, and so there are some some shifts that that would need to occur. And I want to introduce some more characters and regions that haven't been fleshed out in our campaign. Um, so you have this kind of larger picture of what's going on in the world. But yeah, I, I have an idea. I know what happens in Elias' arc for the next several books, but it's more what's happening around her um, and then how is how is she affected by that? So I'm I'm still kind of working out that larger scale and representing it in, in cool ways. That's awesome. So what you're saying is if I like the first few chapters, the books will never, ever stop coming. <laughs> exactly. Until I die, they're just going to keep rolling out. Excellent. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's wonderful. Uh, I guess as long as you're homebound and... Uh, and you got nothing better to do then, right? I suppose that's a, as good a reason as any to keep churning out books. Well, that's pretty exciting, Beth. Anything else uh, going on in the, the D&D duet side that you want to plug? We are about to release a, um, a really fun funny day supplement that we're going to make available for free. And so if you want to have kind of a D&D Easter egg hunt around your house or on a little map, you can. Um, and so we'll have that available either on our, I, I think it'll be, it's going to for sure be on our Patreon because we're doing that as kind of a bonus for our patrons, but we'll link to it on the website too, so that because so many people are homebound right now, um, and wanting to play that this will be a really fun way if you want to get other people in your family involved or just have this kind of, um, lighthearted adventure through the Brightlands because of the, it's, um, it's because of the shenanigans of an arc fay bunny leopold um which i'm really <laughs> excited and so he's hidden eggs everywhere and they can either hatch into a fae friend which will be like a little familiar of a fox or a robin or um, if you catch all of them then you get a pseudocorn which is like a rainbow mini unicorn <laughs> that works like a familiar so you can run around with him or you can plant them and um and they grow into these magical fae bushes which you can then use as um use for potions and things like that um, so we're really excited about that. We've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing, and so it's like <laughs> patron requests combined with we're stuck at home combined with Animal Crossing, and then we're hoping that it creates something that's really fun and lighthearted for this time that can be kind of stressful. For sure, that sounds awesome. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, give that a download. I hope this episode was helpful in learning to write and able to get across to the other players and your DM and even yourself yeah. what what your character is really all about. And just how to think about telling your story as you play and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we have the takeaway of the uh, template, but I'm going to carry this into the way that I play my characters for sure. Well, thanks again, Beth, for joining us. You can find more of Beth's work on Twitter at Grove Guardian and Beth Ball author on Instagram. 
and D&D Duet for kind of your D&D Instagram as well as your website, so dndduet.com. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit. Please, uh, if you if you create any character introductions, reach out and and share them with us. We'd love to see them. I don't think it'll fit in a tweet, but uh, <laughs> you can definitely shoot them our way. Favorite two sentences in a tweet. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> see if you can condense. That's the next challenge is can you condense your character intro down to a tweet? <laughs> Writing challenges. That's that one sentence. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And play, play games. I'm going to go find Leopold, that rabbit, and get some of those eggs. <laughs> <laughs>